Morning, Westgate. How's everybody doing? It's time to worship together. I'm going to start the service a little bit differently today. Um, I want to encourage you to either, uh, I'm going to read Psalm 148. And I want you just to meditate on these words, whether that means you you're close your eyes, bow your heads, or, or follow along on the screen. Anything is fine. I want you to meditate on these words. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree, and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above, heaven, is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. Amen. Yeah.
Uh, I want to welcome you to our service this morning. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Rob Zimmerman. I'm the lead pastor here at Westgate, and uh, I'm just thankful that you have chosen to worship with us here today. Uh, I'm recognizing that there are maybe a hard time finding seats this morning. I know people don't love what they call the conviction zone up in the front, but if you want to move forward, come on forward. I promise it won't be too heavy. Anyway, hey, uh, if you're new here at Westgate, thank you again uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, I really want to give you just a couple of ideas of ways to get connected into the life of our church. But one of the great first ways to do that is by filling out a connection card. Uh, our connection cards are back at the table where you entered this morning, and uh, you can grab one during meet and greet uh, at the end of the service. Fill that out. Uh, we promise not to inundate you with tons of mail or anything like that, but really we just want to provide you an easy way to get connected. And if you fill out that card, which you can actually do at the close of the service, take it to our hosts that are out in the lobby, and they would love to give you a small uh, bag of goodies. It's chock full of information, cool little sunglasses, and a couple of gifts, but also they want to answer any questions you might have about the church and uh, just help you as you're seeking to get connected and learn more about who we are. So please be sure uh, to stop by and do that. A couple other just quick reminders. Your sermon notes are found at the back table. We're going to be having communion later in the service, and so that's out there as well. Uh, be sure to grab that. But we have a lot going on as we move into the fall and a very short announcement video for you this morning to remind you about a couple of things that are coming up quick. So let's watch the screen together. It's so good to be here today and great to be gathered as a church family. My name is Adrienne and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. We've got just a few quick reminders for you this morning and here they are. Wednesday Night Kids kicks off this week for all our families with elementary age kids. It's not too late to sign up your kids or your neighbor's kids. Get all the details on the Westgate app or westgatechapel.org slash events. In case you missed it, next Sunday is our Life Group sign-up event. Life Groups are the best environment to be deeply connected with others and to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you're not already part of a Life Group, this event is an easy way for you to find a group that's a great fit. We'll have many leaders ready to meet you, answer questions, and help you get connected. Come and do life together with others as part of a Life Group. Check out the event in the cafe next Sunday. That's all for this week, but that's not all we've got going on at Westgate. If you're looking for more details about what's happening, you can check out our Westgate app or head over to our website at westgatechapel.org events. Thanks again for being here this morning. We hope you enjoy the service. So if you've got young kids or even students, uh, our student ministries kicked off a couple of weeks ago, but they are back in action tomorrow night uh, here at the church, middle school and high school. So be sure uh, to bring them out for that. But as well, kids ministry kicks off. If you haven't gotten registered, you can do so online. But we've got a lot of great stuff going on as we move into the fall. With that being said, would love for you to take a moment to greet and say hello to somebody you have not met or have not yet said hello to you yet this morning. So let's stand and greet one another.
never get tired of it, never get tired of singing what God has done for us and who God is. Amen? That's why we're here. That's why we gather. That's why we sing songs. And because our Creator, our God, is worthy of it all. I want everyone just right now to think about what God has done for you lately. Who has God been to you lately? I want you just to shout it out. Everything. Let me hear you. Healer. Comforter. Redeemer. Redeemer. Deliverer. Friend. Peacemaker. It's an underrated one right there. What else? Who else has got to you? Help me. Is that what I heard? Father. Father. This is hearing these out loud. This is an encouragement to the body around you, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's why we do this. We're edifying one another. Who else has got to you? Wisdom.
a moment. We're going to take uh, a morning offering in just a minute, but as we do, I just uh, want to tell you that as I've thought back this past week to where we have been as a church, I've just been humbled as your pastor by uh, the generosity that you have shown um, to the Lord. Not to me, not to our church, but to the Lord. You know, to think that a few years ago we went through a pandemic and yet still raised enough money to pay off a million and a half dollars worth of debt is confounding to me. And to come through that and to experience all the inflation and difficulties that we have experienced as a church and to come to a place where our needs are met financially because of your faithfulness to the Lord, but also you know, the refreshing and the updating of our worship center to have that completely paid. Like, I am truly humbled because of how God is growing you and working through you in that area of generosity. And I hope that what you see as we come and we give our, our tithes and our offerings this morning is it's not about, you know, hey, just give money to the church. The truth is, is that everything that we have comes from the Lord. And I believe that what we're learning as a church is that we give back, not out of compulsion, but because we want to join the Lord in the things that he's doing to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have been such a blessing to me and to our leadership in the way that you have helped to support that and continue to do so. And so I just want to say as we take our, our offering this morning, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Lord, allowing yourself to be discipled in an area that the church doesn't love to talk about. I don't love to talk about it much, I'll tell you that. No, it seems like I do. Uh, God is glorified in the way that you worship him in your giving. And so let's offer him worship before we take our offering this morning. Father, how could we not be faithful to you with every aspect of our life? From the use of our gifts, our time, even the resources, God, that you have given us when we consider how faithful you have been and continue to be and will always be to us. You are our provider. You give us everything that we need. Maybe not what we always want, but what we need. And you fulfill us and you sustain us. Father, as we come to this time of offering, Father, we give because of your faithfulness to us as an act of worship. Father, to say and to acknowledge that everything we have does come from you and to acknowledge that we want to be a part of what you're doing to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we take our offering this morning, I pray that you would multiply it and that you would use it, that we would see more people make that declaration that they believe in your son, Jesus Christ. They receive salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, our offering buckets are here on the center aisle. If you would so kindly grab those and you can pass them out to the sides, and then our ushers will come up the far sides and pick those up here in just a minute.
helps when the microphone's on. Well, uh, speaking of worship center, next Sunday, we'll be back in the worship center. I can almost, I can almost guarantee it. Um, almost. Um, you never know, but I'm feeling pretty good about it this time. So uh, we will be back, I believe, in the worship center next Sunday, and so uh, I'm excited for you to join us in there. Just a couple things I want to make sure you're aware of before we move back in. One, uh, the balcony will likely not be finished, so all you top dwellers, come to us bottom feeders and worship with us. It's really good on the floor. So I uh, would love for you uh, just to know that, that that will still likely be closed as they finish a couple of things up there. Uh, but uh, for the most part, we will be in. Please, again, do not be shocked, disheartened, and dismayed when you see pink cues in what has been redone. Uh, but we do have a ship date for that uh, fabric. So September 18th, our pew fabric should be arriving. And by the end of the month, uh, the project will be totally completed. So we're excited about that. So uh, please be sure to join us next week as we move back in and get back to a little bit more normalcy. But I would say... This has been really good, hasn't it? To be in this place to worship. That worship is not about where we are. It's not about what we have. It's about our hearts pouring out to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, this morning as we dive in, I'm excited to see this project of the Worship Center completed. It has been a part of our five-year vision of getting that done. Uh, but we have been, if you have not been with us, in the midst of a five-year vision initiative as a church, and uh, we're beginning this week, actually, year number two of those five years. And we call this vision uh, our Deep Roots Broad Reach Initiative. Now, uh, I want to give you a little bit of background to this, especially for those who are newer to Westgate and maybe weren't here at this time last year. The purpose behind our vision uh, of Deep Roots and Broad Reach is that we believe God wants to do three things. We believe that God wants to grow us deeper in our relationship with Christ. We believe that God wants to grow us deeper in our connectedness within the body of Christ. And as well, we believe that God wants to broaden our reach in inviting people into a personal relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And over the next uh, couple of weeks together, we're going to be going through a vision series to rekindle and focus our hearts on what God is calling us to as we enter into year two of this five-year vision initiative. And what we're going to be doing is, is doing a little bit of looking back at this past year and celebrating the things uh, that God has done, the exciting things and the movement that we see of what he's doing in our hearts and lives. We're also going to look forward to some of the things that are going to be happening in this coming year. But as well, I really want to ask that you would ask the Lord how he would have us to engage in this vision in deeper ways. And so here's my prayer. My prayer is this over these next few weeks is that if you've been around since the beginning of the launch of this five-year vision initiative uh, that began last September, if you've been around... I want to invite you to not only celebrate with us what God has been doing, what he's currently doing, but I want to ask that you would prayerfully ask the Lord how he would have you to engage in this vision in deeper ways. But secondly, if you are new to Westgate, whether it's been a couple of weeks or a few months or whatever it may be, I want to invite you in. I want to invite you into the life of our church. I want to invite you to join us in the vision that God is giving us. In this morning, as we begin this series, we're going to be taking, uh, talking about the first part of our five-year vision that we call Deep Roots. 
And here's what I want you to understand about this analogy that we have been using. Deep roots, when you think about it, are a symbol of health, of strength, of stability, and of presence. And what we want is every single person who attends Westgate Chapel to be those who are developing deep roots in their relationship with the Lord, but also in their relationship with others in the life of his church. Now, to illustrate this, I want to give you just a quick illustration to help you to understand the significance behind our Deep Roots strategy. Uh, My son uh, got to experience something really awesome this summer uh, in a graduation gift from his grandparents that I myself never really got to enjoy, and that was a wonderful trip to Hawaii for graduating from high school. Yes, there he is with his grandparents in Maui, and I did everything I could, by the way, to get him sick before he left so I could fill in. Uh, but it did not work. So uh, he, uh, he got to go and spend an incredible week with his grandparents, went golfing with his grandfather on a couple of courses, uh, really enjoyed it, except for those high winds, he said. He had one really bad day. Uh, but I had a good time. He got to eat at this really cool restaurant called Cheeseburger in Paradise, and uh, it was one of his favorite places to go. Uh, but I remember that as the trip was winding down and the day that they were supposed to go home, Uh, being that they're six hours behind us, I woke up in the morning and I began reading uh, in the news and online about the fires that were taking place in Maui and started reading about the fires in Lahaina. And so I immediately started Googling like, hey, our flight's leaving. I want to make sure he's going to get out. I didn't quite know yet how bad it was going to be. And Garrett told us that as they were going to the airport and even as they were sitting in the airport, they could see the fires that were taking place on the one side of the island, but were completely unaware of what was taking place over in Lahaina. Now, uh, Garrett and his grandparents weren't in Lahaina. They were in, uh, I think it was Kihei, which is a little bit south of that. But uh, they were able to make it to the airport. Their plane was able to take off. And I remember he said that when they took off and he looked out the window back at the coast, you couldn't even see the coastline. There was so much smoke. They still, at that point, had no idea what was taking place. And as you know, uh, the fire and the devastation that happened, especially in Lahaina, was incredible. Uh, Probably 85 to 90% of that city was completely burned down by 70-mile-an-hour winds that were driving the fire. Uh, They said that the fire itself moved about a mile a minute, and the devastation has been complete. You've probably seen some of the images, but this restaurant that he loved, uh, it was shocking to him when he got home and saw that this was all that was left of that restaurant that sat out on the water with everything that was around it completely gone. You know, it was uh, hard to be able to take that in with so much devastation. But what's interesting is because of the connection with Garrett and his grandparents having been there, I've been kind of following and watching what's going on over in Maui and Lahaina. And what's interesting is it seems that uh, the people are really holding to, even though most of the town is burned down, there is this really significant tree. Have you heard about it? It's called the banyan tree that is, uh, was in Lahaina. Uh, this tree was a gift that was given from missionaries in India in 1873 to King Kamehameha and his wife. And it was given to mark the 50th anniversary of the arrival of the first American Protestant mission in Hawaii, specifically in Maui. And uh, this tree has held great significance. When it was first given as a gift, it was only about eight feet wide. Today, it spans over two-thirds of an acre. It's an incredible, incredible how big this tree from India has grown. 
And, uh, but uh, one of the things, obviously, is as the fire pushed through, uh, it also got to this tree. And you see here how big that tree is, and this is what it looks like today. All around it, the devastation. Much of the tree is burned and singed, the leaves having been burned off. And uh, one of the interesting things, though, that I've read is that the people of Maui have been working day and night in order to try to save this tree because of its significance to them, giving them some sort of hope of its significance and how special it is to them. Uh, you'll see here in this uh, video that there is a, they have been basically working day and night to try to shoot water into the tree in order to give it water to hopefully keep it alive. Uh, they've been doing treatments down into the ground, uh, spreading special mulch out around the tree and its roots, everything possible to try to save it. And as I've been doing this reading, I actually came, about around, uh, uh, came, uh, came upon an article just a couple of days ago that referenced that they actually believe that the tree has a great potential to still live. As they've been doing this, they've pulled some of the roots up out of the ground and have found that there are new shoots of roots that are growing off of this tree, brand new ones that are still growing. As well, they've been able to kind of tap the tree, uh, the tree itself and see that there is still sap that is moving through the tree. Super interesting to think about because of the devastation that occurred and that it caught fire, but here's the deal. The article talks about the fact that the only reason this tree has had any hope of living is why? Because of the incredibly deep root system that exists with this tree. It shoots its roots incredibly deep into the ground where it finds nourishment that not only has allowed it to grow to its incredible size, that has allowed it to be uh, just this really beautiful thing that people can gather under, but also it is the very thing that is giving it its life-sustaining power in a time of an incredible devastation. It's incredible as you think about it that this tree could possibly come through this, but it is because of the deep root system that it has. What potentially is saving it is its roots, and it continues to be nourished and to grow and to preserve the life of the tree, even in the midst of devastating circumstances. Here's our big idea this morning, and I want you to catch this. Roots are essential to give, to grow, and to preserve life. If you have your sermon notes, you can fill that in with me this morning. Roots are essential to give, grow, and preserve life. And not only when we're talking about a tree that is over Maui, but we look in scripture, and this metaphor is used consistently in the New Testament to describe our own faith and relationship with God and how it is when we are rooted in Christ that we are able to grow deeper in him, that we are able to bear fruit, but also that we find the preservation of our lives. And this morning, I want us to dive into this so we have a deeper understanding of what we are talking about as a church when we say we want to have deep roots together. To do that, turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at one place where the Apostle Paul uses this description, this metaphor, if you will, to help us to understand this truth. As you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul is going to reveal to us in this passage his concern about the preservation of faith within the Colossian church. Now, a little bit of background. Remember, if you don't know who Paul is, 
Paul was one of the people that was considered to be, at the time of Christ's death and there, soon thereafter, one of the great persecutors of the church, notorious for helping to oversee the persecution and the death of many Christians. But God uh, miraculously transformed his life. As he was on the road to Damascus, it tells us that God appeared to him and called him and told him, look, I am changing the entire course of your life, that you are going to be one of the greatest missionaries that I will ever use to go and to share the good news of my son Jesus Christ with the Gentiles throughout the world. And we know that exactly what God told him came true. You and I sit here today in a church because the Apostle Paul was used to take the gospel message from Jerusalem and begin to spread it all throughout the entire world. You have been impacted by this man's story. And not only is he one of the greatest missionaries to the Gentiles, or the greatest that has ever lived, he wrote numerous letters to churches, encouraging them in their faith, challenging them to grow. And this letter specifically in the book of Colossians was written to a city and to a church in Colossae. Colossae was a Roman, uh, Roman province of Asia, and at one point in its history, it had been an incredibly powerful and great city. It sat at the junction of a lot of trade routes, but at the time that Paul is actually writing this, uh, it had lost its significance. There were a number of greater and bigger cities that surrounded, surrounded it, and so by Paul's day, it was overshadowed. But one thing to know is that in this city, there was a very predominant Gentile population. In other words, a lot of people who did not know God and who did not worship God. There was also a sizable Jewish population. In other words, not followers of Christ, but those who held to the law and followed everything about the Old Testament law. And then there was a very small Christian population, those who loved Jesus and were following after him. And what we see is that Paul is writing to this small Christian church, writing out of concern for false teaching that he fears is going to infiltrate the Christian faith. Now, we call this in Scripture the Colossian heresy. In other words, what it was was a heresy, something that deviated from the truth of the gospel that people were falling into. We don't know a whole lot about it, except there are three key things that we can pull out of Scripture to understand about it. The first thing is this. It had roots in paganism. There was the worship of many gods, and these gods that people worshiped were aimed at things like prosperity and materialism. If you worship these gods, somehow your life would be better. It also had elements of Greek philosophy, false teachings about who God was. Some of these teachings were things like uh, that Jesus was not God and that knowledge was the most important thing for salvation. As well, there was Jewish legalism that was also wrapped up within this Colossian heresy. The belief that you had to be circumcised or observe Jewish dietary laws and holy days in order to be good enough for God. All of these things combined brought this false teaching into the church that Paul is afraid is going to lead people away from their fidelity to Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Now, I want to pause for a minute. What does all of this information matter? You may, may be like, Rob, why is it that you give us kind of this historical background? And the reason I do is because sometimes I believe that we fail to realize just how similar our own situation is. We oftentimes, when we read scripture, don't understand the background and or don't cross what we call the principalizing bridge of taking something that we read about in the Old Testament and truly understanding how it applies to our world that we live in today. And now as we think about that, 
I want you to think about the things that they were wrestling with with this Colossian heresy and how it relates to us. How easy is it in our culture to live out a faith that doesn't put Christ first, but where we erect our own idols, idols of materialism, idols of, of, of other things that we worship in the place of God that we think will give us greater fulfillment in our lives. How easy is it in the world we live in today to adopt false ideas about who God is or false teaching? Maybe because it sounds easier or because it sounds good, even if it doesn't necessarily match up with the Bible. How easy has it become for people to be led astray by somehow also believing that they need to earn their favor with God? This is one that for centuries, even today, still plagues people this belief that somehow I have to be good enough for God. Or if I've been too bad, I can't be accepted by him. You see, the things that were happening even within this heresy have some correlation to what we wrestle with even in the church today. And to combat this, what Paul does in chapter one of the book of Colossians is that he spends time reminding believers about who Christ is. Listen to this list of things that he says about Jesus so they're not confused by these false teachings. He reminds them that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, a direct representation of who he is. He is the firstborn of all creation, that everything was created by him, that in him all things hold together, that in other words, he is in control of all things, that he is the head of the church, and that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that Jesus himself truly is God. Again, you know, and, and he says that specifically because the heresy was teaching that that wasn't true. He reminds us of all of these great things about who Jesus is, but then, and most importantly, he reminds us that through him, in him alone, that all things are reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That when we put our faith and trust in him, that it is he alone that can provide us with the gift of salvation, not because we earned it for ourselves, but it was a gift that was given if we would simply entrust our hearts and our lives to him. Paul goes through all of this, and then he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, these words, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. That therefore going back to all of the things that he has just said about who Jesus is and the essential character and essential uh, purposes that he has for our life. Because of everything I just said, his response to them is, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him or continue to walk in him. Now, what's interesting is that Paul uses a Greek word here for the word receive, where he says, as you have received Christ Jesus, paralambano, and it, it means this. It's in reference to often receiving or accepting tradition or teaching about Jesus. In other words, where Paul mostly uses this is when he says that you have received a teaching or a tradition about Jesus. But this passage is different. It's the only place in the New Testament where Paul takes this Greek word and he combines it with a personal object, namely Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not just receive teaching or receive tradition about Jesus. I want you to receive Jesus himself. I want you to be found in him. He says, remember, or I'm sorry, he says, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. It's the only place where we see him use it in this way. In other words, letter A, this is what Paul is saying. Receiving Christ is not just a matter of believing. 
It's one thing to believe that something is true, but it's another thing to fully accept it. You know, it's one thing to admit Michigan football is looking really good. Now, I know some of you have a hard time admitting that. I get it. But it looks like they're going to have a good year. It's one thing to admit that Deion Sanders was right when he went to Colorado and said, I'm coming, right? He seems to have been right, that here are some really good things that are taking place. I'm sorry that I didn't include Ohio State in that. It's a little sketchy, I think. But don't worry, my angels. Notice I didn't put them into this, all right? Just want to be clear. But I'm still wearing the jersey, and here's why. It's one thing to say something is true. But it's another thing to strap on the jersey and immerse yourself as a committed follower of something. Receiving Christ isn't just a matter of believing, but B, it is also a commitment to maintain a lifestyle that is patterned after his. And that is why Paul says, in the same way that you receive Jesus Christ with the same fervor, the same conviction, the same excitement, everything that you knew to be true about Jesus and who he is and what he desires for your life, what does he say? In the same way, so walk in him or continue to live your lives in him, as the NIV would say. In other words, let Christ and no one else, because Christ himself is Lord, let him be the one who establishes your values, who guides your thinking, and who directs your conduct. And as he gives us this challenge, what Paul reveals is this. Paul reveals is that there is a great temptation to walk away from or compromise how we follow God. And we know that this is true. We have experienced it in our own lives. It is easy to make concessions and to live for the world rather than it is for Christ. It is easy to set up idols and gods in our life of materialism and wealth and so many other things rather than to give Christ the preeminent position of our hearts and lives. He knows so well the temptation to walk away or to compromise and intermarry our faith with the things of the world. This is his concern for the Colossian church. It's his concern for us. And so he says, continue to walk in him. But what he does next is he describes for us how it is that we do that. And what Paul does is he uses two very forceful metaphors to describe the active role that, that uh, the active role we must take in placing Christ first in our lives. Look with me, if you will, at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 again. Again, verse 6 says, Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What? Rooted. How? Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. It's here that we see the rooted metaphor. The picture, again, is that of a tree whose roots have sunk so deep into the soil, such that they are providing for its nourishment for its growth, for its fruit, and ultimately for its protection. Letter A, developing deep roots in Christ means that he is the source and the foundation of our spiritual nourishment, our spiritual growth, our fruit, but also you can add in, since I didn't put it in the note, ultimately for our protection against the things of this world. He is the one that provides all of that for us. 
And here's the deal. As we read this, and as Paul says these words to the church, the importance of deep roots was well understood in Jewish tradition. The imagery would have quickly drawn a picture of fruit-bearing trees in their mind. There is a similar imagery, actually, that Jesus uses in, in, in the book of John that we see as he is speaking with his disciples. It comes out of John 15. Many of you are familiar with it. In John 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Hmm. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Do you see the clear correlation between Jesus' illustration, what Paul is talking to us, uh, saying to us about being deeply rooted in Christ? is that they're both using this picture of the fact that whether it is a root from a tree that sinks down into the ground or is it the vine that provides the nourishment to the branches, all of it is meant to help us to understand the need for us to truly be in Christ, to abide in Christ, not just to say with mere belief that we believe who he is. The Bible says even demons believe that but that we would truly surrender our hearts and seek to allow him to change and to transform us, that we would abide with him, that he would change who we are because of our love for him. And I have four things that I want to give you this morning to think about how it is then that we can be deeply rooted in Christ. If we're going to be deeply rooted in Christ, here's four things. One, I believe we must move beyond mere belief and truly make the choice to follow him. We need to get away from the popular idea in our culture that the Christian faith is just about praying some little magical prayer that gives us our salvation, and then we can live our lives however we desire, and nothing else matters. It is a false teaching that has entered into the church to emphasize just simply a statement of belief without having it impact our heart or create within us any desire to seek or to follow Christ. We have to actually come to a place where we understand that the commitment we make is a combination of belief and faith working together that causes a place in our own hearts and lives where we actually follow Christ, where his priorities become our priorities, where his ways are the things that we desire because of our love for who he is and what he has done. If we're gonna be deeply rooted in Christ, we have to move beyond mere belief and make the choice to follow him. But number two, we also must place a high value on God's word for our lives. God's word is the place where we can go anytime there is false teaching about who he is or about the Christian faith and line it up against God's word and say, what is true and what is not? How does God desire for me to follow and, and how should I not? You know, one of the things that bothers me when I look at at times in, in various churches around the world is that sometimes even the, the word that is delivered in Sunday morning services is so devoid of scripture. Like oftentimes we're giving like simple TED Talks that are just telling you how to live a good life. And I wanna tell you something. God's word is what transforms your heart and your life. If we're going to be transformed and deeply rooted in Christ, we must have a high value for God's word. In our sermons, in our classes, in our Bible studies here at Westgate, it is a high priority because we believe that's where life change comes as God speaks to us through his word. But even more, in our personal quiet times, 
And one of the things that has always bothered me is the statistics in the church that talk about how biblically illiterate the church is because very few people are spending time in their Bibles outside of a Sunday service. And you may sit here this morning and go, ooh, I'm shrinking down, that feels like me. And I don't say that to heap guilt. But for us as God's people to say, is that what he has designed for us? He has so much more for us. You see, reading his word isn't about just checking off a, a list of things that we need to do to be good Christians. It's about our communion and our abiding, our rooting ourselves in him so that he can change and transform our hearts and our lives. That means this, number three, we must become self-feeders. We have allowed at times other people to do our searching for us. And I remember it was A.W. Tozer who said that we have become content with very little seeking after God. But when this happens, we run the danger of being those who will believe, but have not truly committed our hearts to him. Finally, number four, we must value God's purpose for the church and its role in our lives if we are going to be deeply rooted in Christ. And I want you to see this with the next part of the metaphor that Paul talks about. Letter B in your notes, being built up in Christ draws a vivid picture of God's transforming work in our lives as individuals and as a community. How is it that we receive Christ Jesus as Lord and so walk in him, be rooted in him, and also it says be built up. And what Paul does is uses a building metaphor to emphasize the foundation that is laid in Christ that enables continued growth. Now, with my kids, I used to try to explain this idea about our foundation that is Christ as we root ourselves in him and how he builds upon that foundation by taking them to see our house when they were little and it was being built. A couple of pictures here on the screen, I would take them and we would look at like when the foundation was being poured and I talked about the importance of Christ being the foundation of our lives, the strength, if you will. And if that foundation is weak, even in a house, the walls have the capacity to crumble or to fall when, when difficulty comes along. But then I talk to them as he is our foundation, we can then build upon something that is strong. And in these pictures, you'll see as the walls begin to go up, there is a building process that God does in our lives to form us and to create us into the people that he designed us to be. You might even see a picture in here of my kids uh, as they are uh, sitting out in front of the house as the walls continue to go up. We would have these great, you know, I'm a pastor. I just do these things, guys. It's weird. But talking to my kids and using this as an illustration, and then the last picture, again, is of that completed house. What I want you to catch with this is this, is that throughout the New Testament, Paul uses this similar analogy, this similar metaphor of being built up. It's not something that is meant, though, to happen in isolation. Being built up in Christ is not something that is meant to be done in isolation. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, which is equipped, which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our being built up and growing in Christ is not something that just happens in isolation with us and God, but God has purposed the church Christian community is an essential element of our growth in him. This is the very reason that we have placed here at Westgate such a high priority 
on being in life groups at Westgate, and that it has been an important part of our five-year vision as a church. Now, if you're new to Westgate and you're like, well, what is a life group? Here's a just simple description. Eight to 12 people who meet to develop connection with others, to study God's word, to pray, to find meaningful friendship, but also to spur one another on toward growth in Jesus Christ. And this is important to us because we believe life groups provide the greatest opportunity for people to grow spiritually and connect relationally within God's church. We believe that it is his design that we would be in community with each other to help encourage and spur on our growth in him. This is the reason that it's such a big part of our five-year vision. If you look on the screen, there are, in our five-year goal, we said that over five years, we want to see 80% plus of adult members and regular attenders be involved in a life group. This was our goal that we have set. We're a year through it. And the reason we set this is because statistics actually show that 40, when you have a church that has 40 to 50% participation in life groups or small groups, that it is considered to be a healthy church. But when you see churches that have 80% participation in a small group, that those are churches that are often thriving and expanding churches. Now, why is that? I keep asking myself, why is that true? Well, the reason I believe that when you have that high of percentage of people that are in community with each other, that the churches are thriving and expanding is because, number one, people are growing spiritually the way that God designed them to. God designed his church so that we'd be in community constantly shaping and sharpening each other, helping each other to grow in Christ-mindedness. But as well, when we're in that type of community, we have a deeper understanding of the mission-mindedness of the church, of how God has called us not to just be focused on ourselves, but to be focused outward on reaching more people with the gospel. And as well, in these churches, you will see that there is a culture of connectedness that is constantly seeking to draw more people into the family, that they would be growing deeper roots in Christ as they grow deeper roots into the community. And I want to tell you and celebrate with you this morning that over the past year, we've seen some really great things. We've seen about 75 people have joined a life group just in this past year as we've begun this initiative. We've been able to launch 11 new groups this past year as we seek to move toward this goal. What all that means is that there are today about 425 adults that are regular, members, regular attenders and members that are actually in life groups at Westgate Chapel. I'm encouraged by that. I'm really pumped about that. That is some growth that has taken place. Today, we sit somewhere around 50 to 55% of adults at Westgate that are involved in a small group. I think that's phenomenal. I think it's phenomenal because here's the deal. Not just because we're striving for a number, but because one of my favorite things to do is to hear stories from you about how you being involved in a small group is radically changing your own life as you're finding community with others, but you're being challenged to grow deeper with Christ. You know what one of my favorite phone calls to make is, by the way, is when I call, when somebody's going through a difficulty in life, when they have been struggling through something, and, and I call and I say, hey, we are here for you as a church. What can I do for you? How can I come alongside you? Is there anything that you need? Over and over and over again over this past year, do you know what I've been hearing from people? Thank you, Pastor. I'm so glad that you care, but my life group is really taking care of me. Like, honestly, I get the stiff arm from people. They're like, I don't need you. I got my group, my people who are providing us with meals, who are taking care of our financial needs, who are caring for us and pointing us to Jesus when it's really hard. 
That's the type of community that God has designed for us to be in because it teaches us more about who his son is and takes us deeper in our faith and trust in him. Why are life groups such an essential part of our vision? Because we believe that God's word teaches the most effective and sustained spiritual growth takes place in a person's life when they are connected relationally with other believers. This is where discipleship happens. As well, we believe that it's an essential part because it is not possible in a church this large, especially for the elders, deacons, and staff, to personally minister to every single person who attends. But when I get to hear those stories of people saying, my people, my group is taking care of me, to me, that is the picture of what the church was meant to be. As well, they are essential because we want more people to be able to experience the incredible life of Westgate Chapel. I would tell you this this morning, if you are new to Westgate in the past few weeks, in the past few months, in the past year, if you are new here at Westgate, being involved in a group is how you can become involved not only in the life of the church, but also be challenged to grow deeper roots in your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ as you grow deeper roots into community with the church. But one of the first great steps that you can take, I know people are like, man, I don't wanna jump right into that, that feels a little bit intimidating. Uh, I would tell you this, if you're new, one of the great first steps you can take is to join us after second service today for what we call our new people party. Our new people party is taking place today. It is a great place to get to know people that are new at Westgate, but also our pastoral staff who will come. And we're going to share a little bit of our heart with you, have some fun together, but really begin that process of doing life together. Can I invite you, even if you haven't signed up for it, join us today. It's in the refinery on the other side of the building, our, our other auditorium. We would love for you to join us and to, to begin to dive into community. But I also want to say something very specifically to those of you that have been here for a long time, and I want to challenge you. The greatest growth that we have seen in our life group ministry has come from a handful of people that have been here for a while and a lot of new people. But I will tell you the greatest challenge to reaching 80% participation in small groups is going to be from people that attend Westgate and have been here for a number of years. Many times it's easy for us to look at something like this and go, meh, I haven't needed it before, I don't need it now. And can I challenge your thinking on that? I wanna challenge your thinking in this way. Is it whether you think, think it or not, that type of community is essential for your growth. It's not just do you come to church on a Sunday, sit in a service and hear from me, or go to a couple things midweek. But do you have those people that are your people that God is using to sharpen you in your walk with him? You need it whether you realize it or not. But even more important, or secondly important, is this. Is that there are people in this room that need you to engage them in community. That they need you and the experiences that God has given you to pour into their hearts and their lives. You have gone on a journey with God that can be an encouragement to so many people as they are seeking to walk with him and God wants to use you in that way. Will you rebuff his call for you to come into that type of community, not only for your own growth, but for the encouragement of the body as a whole? And would you consider, which in churches, this is one of the biggest issues that we struggle with when it comes to life group ministry, not just Westgate, but all churches. Would you consider leading a group? That sounds intimidating. It's it's not. Sorry, hand went on the wrong side. Would you consider being involved leading? Because, you know, when we, we're going to have a life group kickoff next week. 
And if people want to get into life groups, we're going to have after our services the opportunity for you to go to meet some of the groups that have openings, uh, to sign up, to put your name on a list as well if there's not something that fits. But the biggest problem is finding people that are willing to lead so more people can get involved. And we will do everything we can to connect people who sign up so that you can be in community. But one of the greatest hindrances is we're often unwilling to say, I'll let God use me to help uh, facilitate, lead, and lead a group. Would you prayerfully consider how God wants to use you in that way? Because it's not just about you and your growth. It's about the growth of the community and how God wants to use us as his body. As we think about everything that Paul has said to us so far, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. His worry is it in the culture that we live in today that we'd be taken away from our fidelity to Jesus Christ. And so he says, remember who Jesus is and then root yourself deep in him. Build that relationship with him and do it by also building into community with others where you will be built up in Christ. And then Paul ends here and expresses just how important his instructions are by issuing a warning to us. And with this warning, Paul wants us to grasp how essential our rootedness in Christ and community with each other are. In Colossians 2.8, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. The first thing is this, letter A, there are many things that you will, that, that, Many things you will hear that sound good and boast great things, but they're ultimately empty. He talks about philosophy and empty deceit. In the NIV, it says hollow and deceptive philosophy. No doubt Paul is talking about the Colossian heresy. There are aspects of it that have sounded good, but ultimately they, lead, they are empty. In other words, they don't lead to life, but they lead to death and separation from God. And in our own world today, we need to take that and understand that there are things even in the Christian church today that have been considered acceptable forms of Christianity, but they are empty and they don't lead to life, but they lead to death. Things like believing that coming to Christ and faith in Jesus is just about praying a prayer, but not dedicating your heart or seeking after him. Things such as believing that somehow you need to be a better person in order to receive God's grace and his goodness. How easy is it for us to put such a high value on materialism and worldly things in our world today rather than putting Christ first? How easy is it for us to stop caring about sin and holiness, though those are the things that are near to the heart of God? What Paul encourages us to is to reject the things that are not sound theology and teaching about who Christ is and what he desires, but to wrap our arms around Christ. So he gives us a warning. There are many things that will sound good and boast great things, but ultimately they're empty and they lead to death. And he says that these things are not rooted in Christ, but they are rooted in this. Number one, human tradition. They're the creation of man, not of God. And the only way to understand what is of God is through his word and being rooted in him. Number two, he says the elemental forces of the world. Now this is a Uh, part of the text that people wrestle with a lot that either means something to the effect of elemental powers of the world or spiritual forces or powers, that there are things that are taking place, spiritual forces in this world that are seeking to draw us away from Christ. He says, be on guard. And the way that we are on guard and we experience thriving in this life in relationship with Christ is by what? Being rooted in him rooting ourselves deeply in him. 
Letter C, therefore root yourselves and the only one who can give, who can grow, and who can preserve your life. Paul says in Colossians 2, 9 through 10, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and all authority. Church, you have been given the precious gift of Jesus Christ, God himself, who gives himself wholly to you that you would experience true life, not only eternal life, but life today, that you would thrive as you are rooted in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for our time and your word together this morning. God, you are so, so good. And as we think about what we have talked about and studied here in your word, Lord, you have given us the precious gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And your son is the one, Lord, who when we root ourselves in him enables us to grow, to find nourishment, but also to overcome the many difficulties that this world will throw our way. And so, Heavenly Father, I want to pray and I want to ask that you would help us as a church to be deeply rooted in you, that we as individuals would make it a priority to go deeper in our relationship with you in this year to come, but also deeper in community with one another. We're gonna take communion at this time, and if you have your elements, I'd invite you to pull those out. I think it's such an important thing for us to remember that when we take this bread, we're reminded of all of the things that Paul said in Colossians chapter one. In Colossians chapter one, Paul reminds us of who Jesus Christ is. He is the creator of all things. He is the one who holds all things in the palm of his hands. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the head of the church. He is the one who has redeemed our lives through his death and through his resurrection. So church family, let's remember together this morning the incredible gift that we have been given in Jesus and his significance for our lives. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that you would love us so much that no matter how much sin we have committed in our lives or how horrible the sin may be, that there's nothing, Lord, that we can do to earn your favor. But we don't have to because you sent your son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be restored in a right relationship with you. God, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask that you would cement that truth deeply in our hearts, that our lives would be changed and our lives would be transformed because of all of who you are and what you have done. And so together, Father, we worship you and we thank you for the gift that you have given. Let's take the bread together. The Bible tells us that Jesus with his disciples 
as they took communion, also took the cup, which was a reminder of his blood that was shed, a total sacrifice of all that he was to redeem all of who we are. Let's take it together in worship of him. God, I thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And I want to pray and ask, Lord, that because of your son, that you would change and transform us, that we would be passionate about growing deep roots in you and pushing aside the false teachings and false things of this world, but as well that we would have a passion to grow deeper roots into your church that you have designed for us, that we would have significant growth in our relationship with you because of the community that we have found of people that are encouraging us and shaping us and challenging us and keeping our eyes fixed and pointed towards you. And so God, would you do that work in us as a church? Over these five years of this vision initiative, it's not just about achieving numbers, it's about giving our hearts to you and letting you change us in a world that is seeking to get us to draw away from you. It's about remaining true and faithful to you because you have always been faithful to us. We give you thanks and we worship you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to close our service and as we do, I just want to let you know that there, uh, if you have any prayer needs today, we have a team that would love the opportunity to pray with you. You can come here to the front and uh, we would love to uh, pray over you and any needs that you have as well. Uh, I want to say that uh, just a reminder of two things. One, uh, church family, if uh, it, remember that we have our service next week in the uh, worship center. And secondly, uh, I also want to remind you that today, if you are new here to Westgate, whether it's in the last week or a couple weeks or months or years, and you've never come to a new people party, you are invited to join us today in just a few minutes over in the refinery. And we would love to begin that process of connecting with you. I'll close with this. Church, as you go out this week, would you go out with a renewed commitment in your heart to go deeper in Christ? Look for ways in this coming year, that's my prayer for you, so you would find ways to go deeper and dig your roots deeper in your relationship with the Lord. But just as important that you would dig deeper roots into the community and life of this church because it is in community here that God has designed for you to most efficiently grow in your relationship with him. Let's commit ourselves to that and see the incredible and wonderful things that God is going to do in us and also through us. God bless you. Have a fantastic week serving the Lord.
for uh, Dr. Ward over there to help with Adam's mom. Uh, not quite sure what's going on, but we're still the real doctors. We are. <laughs> Obviously don't. I mean, coming up this side, I have yeah. no idea. But yeah, I was, I was wondering because.